When it comes back to the people perspective, it's the same thing where we only have to ask one person at a smaller business level to help us fix our mistakes. But as we grow, we have a lot of people to get on board. We have a lot of change to make. It doesn't happen as quickly. So whether you're talking finances or people, the foundation you lay, that culture is so important so that when you get to 30 people, you started with three, you're just solid. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hi-yo, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited today to dive in with my new friend, Stacy Millard. Stacy is a mom of two and multi-passionate entrepreneur. She grew and sold her first seven-figure business before she was 35 while raising her daughters. She prides herself not only on her experience growing a business, but also the thousands of small businesses she's helped over the past 15 years. She believes in three non-negotiables for every successful business, making money, heart-led impact on those we serve and having a great life because of your business, not in spite of it. Stacy works as a fractional CFO and business mentor for entrepreneurs, helping them scale and have the success she knows we can all achieve. I'm so excited about this conversation. We actually recorded it on the heels of her recording me for her show. And so we just dove right in to some of the topics that we broached when she was interviewing me. But I think what you're going to really love about this is how we expose some thoughts about how how accounting and finance worlds need to modernize. And I bet you might get some tips on how to make sure that your accounting and finance team is the right team for your business, both for where you're at in your business, but also based on where the world is at for modernizing some of those workflows. So excited for you to hear from her. Stacy. thanks so much for coming on the show. I cannot wait for listeners to hear your expertise. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So we actually just got done recording another podcast where Stacy was interviewing me. So we're like totally in our jam. And I have some questions I want to start out with. But before we do that, can you share with listeners your entrepreneur story? How did you get into entrepreneurship? I love a good founder story. Yeah, I was just a girl from the prairies in Canada and had zero plans on being an entrepreneur ever. I love puzzles though growing up. I loved numbers, not just like one, two, three, four, five, but the picture that they painted for me. And so I went into accounting and worked for other firms. I grew their teams. I worked with tons of small businesses and everybody has their falling out story with corporate. So I had a falling out with how I wanted to lead, how I wanted to deliver work to our clients and my values versus who I was working for. And I kept noticing it didn't ever hit so one day I took the leap and decided that I was just going to go out on my own. I literally started in my basement with, okay, I just need to replace my income and a laptop in my basement. Literally, the one thing I would say that led to success was I could tell clients how I would make their lives easier. Mm -hmm. I had a natural gift for that. Within a couple years, I grew very quickly. I had that business for almost eight years and we grew past a million dollars, a team of 10, but I fell out of love with taxes. So I noticed about halfway through, I was doing all these small business events and I'm like, guys, this is what's going to make a difference. I think more that CFO, here's how we can use the numbers to help you brain was coming out and the taxes, not so much. We were winning awards. We were doing all the things from the outside. It was like, this is the perfect business. And on the inside, having to do those taxes was just sucking the soul out of me. 
I'm not doing my customers a service anymore. So we built this amazing business. The team that I hired myself, we built this business and eventually I exited and sold that practice. And now I focus more on that CFO side of things. We do taxes for Canadians, but I do not do that role anymore. We have a totally different business set up and I'm just so passionate about seeing small businesses succeed because they give so much to the communities. They adapt. Like in COVID, it's those big giants. It takes so long to adapt, but the small guys, they give so much back. And I'm like, okay, how can we make this better? Totally. I also feel like the small business owners are the owners that usually want to be a good boss and a good leader. And they're actually the ones that you see implement your advice. Do you see that at all? When I give advice to my bigger clients in recruiting, they don't even listen. But when I give advice to a CEO of a three-employee business, they implement it immediately. And it's so cool to see that. Yeah, they come at it with so much more heart. And even the people within the business, if we're talking about leaders within a small business, maybe a team of 15, those leaders still, they're more connected to the business and the mission and the customers and they want to do well. What I find with big businesses is we almost lose hope. Does that make sense? If you go to a leader in a large corporation and you're like, hey, we want you to make this change. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to prove it through my boss and my boss's boss. And then all these people below me, they're used to doing it this way. They're not really going to get on board. It's very hopeless. Yeah, totally. It's like trying to steer a jet boat versus a cruise ship. Yeah, or they don't fight. They'll make one request, they get denied. And it's like, okay, sorry, it's too much red tape for sure. It's also harder to get a team of 30, 40, 50 moving in the same direction it's easier to get a team of 10 to 15 moving in the same direction. So I was thinking about this this morning where the foundation of your business is so important. So from a finance perspective, when you're a kid and you mess up and you're like, oh my gosh, I really need $10. Like it's pretty easy to go to family and outsource. Hey, I need 10 bucks. Everybody's willing to give you 10 bucks. But when you're running a larger business and you make a thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand dollar problem and you need to find that money, now you have less people to solve that issue. And when it comes back to the people perspective, it's the same thing where we only have to ask one person at a smaller business level to help us fix our mistakes. But as we grow, we have a lot of people to get on board. We have a lot of change to make. It doesn't happen as quickly. So whether you're talking finances or people, the foundation you lay, like that culture is so important so that when you get to 30 people, you started with three, you're just solid. Everybody wants to get behind you instead of fighting them to make change. Totally. A hundred percent. So such a great lead in because almost every single client that I work with doesn't have a great foundation of a lot of things in place. And I don't mean that to be critical. They're moving fast and they wait too long to think about these things. They put it off until when, right? When you start to work with clients, what are the things you audit first to see if they have in place? Are there core things that you look to make sure that they have in place? The very first thing was, do you have a reporting system? Do you keep your financials? How often do you keep them? Because we can't use the numbers to show us patterns or show us areas that we have for improvement, show us opportunities if we don't have the reporting system in place. So that's number one. We make sure that happens and that it's happening accurately. And then number two is knowing how your business model translates to those numbers. In addition to being about money, it's very much about time, especially in a service-based business, but even product. A great example of this is I worked with a candle company that absolutely blew up last year, but they had no idea how much time they were putting into making candles. And they're like, why does it feel like we're working for minimum wage? We did a time audit. So it's dollars and then time. 
And then we use those numbers to be like, okay, how does this translate into a successful business model? How do you make profit? So that's usually coming back to how much do you need to sell to break even? How can we bring that down if you're not close to that? How can we make the expenses less? How can we find new opportunities? If we're finding new opportunities, how much can those cost us? You can hire the best marketing team in the world, but you might not get a return on that investment. So that's how we start looking at what is your business model then? And that's actually one of the things I would say, lots of small business owners think if I just do what I do really well, then we're going to make money. They miss out on an hour's cap of like, hey, I promise these people I'm going to do this for X dollars, but I have to do it within this time period. Otherwise, I'm not going to make money doing it. And if you don't make money, your business isn't here for the long run. So getting the reporting system and then understanding what your business model is and then tracking your success towards that. It sounds so overwhelming. Yeah, this is almost embarrassing to say. I went to business school and I had no idea how to run a business. Same. I think we all say this because it's like somebody taught me how to be a good employee within somebody else's business. They didn't teach me how to run a small business and they definitely don't teach you how to scale. They teach you various components, but not how to put it all together. So we're learning the hard way. Even for me, I was like, okay, I'm a good accountant, but I don't know how that translates into customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, and all the inner workings. And so I guess what I would say is if it feels overwhelming, it probably does to everybody else. So let's just get past that. There's no embarrassment and oh my gosh, I'm in over my head. We need to have that learning attitude of I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to figure this out. It's just like accounting. Everybody's intimidated by it, but I figured it out. I took some school and I learned so I can do the same with business. And then you start hiring people or outsourcing or learning through maybe a book or a podcast or whatever. You start learning little bits. And as you learn, it's a building block. And then, you know, maybe you've learned a little bit through a book and that helps you improve a little bit. And then your next step is hiring a consultant to get you a little bit further. It's just about using those blocks to build you up. It's the exact same thing as hiring, right? You just got to put on the learning hat and try stuff. And you learn through experience for sure. And it's going to evolve. We were talking before about how your first hire and what you need from them, even 12 months, 18 months later, isn't going to be the same thing. So we can't necessarily think, okay, I got to get to X point. Well, a team of 30, your hiring approach, who you hire, that's also different. So focus on the now. What do you need? And we'll build on it. I want to touch on something, too, because I think there's a lot of listeners to the show that are similar to you. Where were you living when you built your first accounting practice? In a remote community in northern Alberta, Fort McMurray, Alberta, in a basement. In a basement. Okay. And you built a successful business. Did you seek out mentors or a community? You and I are connected to this world of entrepreneurs who get together, who talk about these things. I feel like if I have a question in my business, I have somebody that I can reach out to for any aspect of my business for help. But not all entrepreneurs are in that position. And I feel so fortunate that I've built my business with that network already. I think you are a case study of somebody who didn't have that. So what did you do? What was the aha moment to realize you needed to find people to help you? And where did you start? I would say our community is not a hub. Now I travel to Phoenix a lot. There's a ton of people in that area who very entrepreneurial minded. I'm so happy to be down there, but I didn't have that. I'm from a remote community. I didn't have that in my family. I come from a family of zero entrepreneurs. Everybody worked for big businesses. And so for me, my start was thinking I need to learn how to do more in my business. That was my solution back then. And I stumbled across Brendan Burchard and some mindset work. 
I'd heard stories of as a leader, your business is a reflection of you. Everything is your responsibility. If the team's not performing, it's on you. And some of it I was resisting. And I just thought if I could just do more in this business, it'll be so much easier. So I stumbled on Brendan Burchard, high performance habits. And I was like, okay, if I can get more out of myself. And that literally led me to this world of just so much expansion. So my first things were podcast and books. This is back 2013, 2015. We did not have webinars, no online courses. And it was not common for people to travel to business events. You didn't really do that, or at least where I was from, we didn't do that. I started with a podcast. And what I would say from that is I consumed way too many podcasts because I'd learned a ton. Consuming them every day really set my mindset right if I was listening to somebody consistently. But I say I consumed too much because I didn't apply it. I didn't go and take a note and then be like, okay, on Fridays would be my CEO days. And I didn't write down, I am going to do this in my business. I've learned this. I need to remember it. I didn't have a way of implementing that. I'm like, man, I wasted a lot of hours that I could have probably been further faster. Yeah. So that's where it all started for me. I do have an opinion about online courses. I'm going to be honest about Great. I think that they are very hard to know if it's going to pay off or not. So I really spend a lot of time and with my clients, I spend a lot of time on number one, understanding why that course fits your business, understanding the results of the course. Do you have the time to implement it? This is just my own opinion, but I bet you 80% of courses that are purchased are never used. And so my personal opinion is, businesses are so unique, I would rather get one-to-one help and start hiring consultants, which is where I ended up. I ended up hiring an HR consultant at one time and really got more into that world. But I will also say the friendships I created and having people in my corner when I found them, we just went up exponentially after that because I was a part of seeing what was possible. I was a part of having other people be able to give me feedback And it was incredible. It's hard. If you're somebody who's never been exposed to this to figure out which events to go to and which ones are good, in my opinion, you just got to pay and just try. Yeah. And some of them are going to be worth it. You usually get something out of everything. It might not be earth shattering, but going to events and becoming parts of communities that are not in your local area sometimes are the best way to expand your network for sure. And you just got to go and try them out. Yeah. So if you're worried about what the return looks like, maybe instead of the $5,000 for a day, you go to something that's like $100 for a day. It's a little bit of a travel. And then you find out what you like and what you don't like. So then the next time you go to an event, you're like, hey, I really appreciated these like breakout times. I'm going to look for an event that had breakout sessions. And then you can build on that. I want to back up for a second on courses. What I really love is courses from a qualified professional that teach you a skill. So if you told me you're going to sell me a course that is literally like, Stacy, here is what you need to know to hire somebody, I'd buy that in a heartbeat because I know you're teaching me almost like university style, but so compact of here's what I'm going to give you. All of my courses include one-to-one time with me because I'm like, you would never go to university and not have access to a professor. You're not skilled in this area. How are you going to know how to apply this to your business when this person is selling a course that's so vague and it's not specific? So I love buying courses that are like, I'm going to learn this skill very specifically versus outsourcing my success and like, we're going to get you to seven figures in six months. Cool. You actually have no idea how you're going to do that for me. Yeah, for sure. You're selling marketing. Exactly. I'm thinking about masterclass, like to learn Excel. 
those you probably can just buy and go through and learn some tips and tricks. It's cheap. You learn a skill. Exactly. So those are great for that. Totally. But some of the more expensive ones that promise the world can be challenging. When it comes to education, though, I think that as a leader in business, financially, what I see works really well is when people have enough of an understanding. So you do not need to necessarily know how to do the ins and outs of every job. You don't have to be the fastest in the business at it, but you have to have enough knowledge to decipher if the person who you do have doing that job is doing the right thing? Are they doing it in the right amount of time? Also looking at, okay, what kind of skills do I need to invest in to be a good leader? Brendan actually talked about that many years ago. I heard this advice from him and I was like, this is solid. You should plan what you're going to be learning over the next 12 months based on where your business is going. Where do you need to level up to get there? Yeah, it's so true because often I'll see leaders hire somebody. We talked about this earlier today in our first conversation and we talked about the need to implement different platforms and tools and how you can't be the leader and not do it. You just can't. You have to go first. You have to learn something. And it's similar to different jobs that you hire in your business. It doesn't mean you have to be a martyr and learn how to do everything in every single business, but you do need to know enough to have conversations with these team members about it and to identify if it's going well or not. Sometimes the only way to do that is by investing in learning it somehow in some way, because you can't lead someone if you don't know enough to at least know what to ask them about. Yeah. So coming back to your business model and how that leads to success, I think a lot of the time we're lacking perspective on how long should it take this person? What's a customer willing to pay for that? In fact, that's one of the biggest things that I see is that the customer in the market's only willing to pay $1,000 for this. And your team member, because they've always operated and maybe like the fact that they're not responsible for what the customer pays or they're very in their own job, they're like, hey, we need 7,000 hours to complete this. And you're like, okay, I'm losing money on it. So as a business owner, you have to be able to understand how that translates. And then maybe you can say, can you use this tool instead? Can you do this differently? Just because you know the skill doesn't mean you're taking it on yourself. You're most definitely not, but you know enough to ask those questions so that the business works. Totally. Switching gears a second. We talked about this earlier too. You also know enough and you feel confident enough if a small business comes to you and wants to work with you and you're like, you know what? You're not ready for me or the services that we get are not right for what you need in your business. When somebody's ready to work with a fractional CFO like you, what are some of those KPIs that would indicate that it's time to start working with a finance and accounting person? Selfishly, I'm asking for myself. So here's an interesting perspective. I think that we go through these stages almost like the levels of school in our business and we're a little bit different at each stage. So this elementary startup stage, I think there's two things you need to do in business. It's know how to make money and know how to keep money. We're so focused at that early stage on making money. It's hard to explain when you've left that, but it's more so about consistent revenue. You're not fighting to get people's attention and all of a sudden it's, hey, people are recognizing us. So before that, you really need to be focused on getting people's attention. You almost need that proof. That's not the time to work with a fractional CFO, worry about the money coming in. Then once it's being more consistent, if you're like, hey, I want to save some money, you could look at it and probably learn enough. So understanding I have a profit playbook that really helps you break down how do I make money in business and it starts breaking it down for you. But the benefit of fractional CFO is it doesn't have to be consistently. I have a client, we talk once a quarter. It's just that I understand your business model. We work together to set that up at the start and then we can talk once a quarter. It's not every day. 
but that fits their stage in business. And then as they grow, we need more money management. Usually I talk to my clients like 150 or 200 in revenue and above that. And before that, ask for a system setup. You get a consultant's time. If you don't understand your business model, hire a fractional CFO for a consultation How do I make money in my business? What are some things that I need to be tracking to get to that next level? So that it's, again, like you're using a little bit of their time and their expertise to help you build those blocks to that next stage. Yeah, we'll make sure we link the Profit Playbook in the show notes. Is that part of what your business offers? Could listeners to the show hire somebody from your business to help set those up? And if not, advice on where they could go to find folks like Yes. So I do that. And I got to explain something in business. I'm fearing making people mad, but I've been doing that for years. When I had the accounting firm, accountants didn't do bookkeeping. And I'm like, but how are you giving them advice on their numbers every month? And now all of a sudden accountants do bookkeeping. So at the risk of ticking off some other CFOs that I know, I think with my entrepreneur brain first, if I was the business owner, how would I feel? How would I make money? All this stuff. And then I think with my finance brain second, You can easily hire me for a session, a couple hours at a very reasonable rate, $1,300. Let's dive in and set that up. I know some people charge $10,000. I can't justify that because I'm like, how do we get a return on that $10,000? And then where do you have money left to scale with? You just don't. So for a very reasonable amount, we can set those KPIs. And then yes, we offer those services where we at a minimum quarterly, but up to monthly or multiple times a month. I have a client that I deal with every week on finance based on their $10 million company. We're managing project managers. They're in construction. So we work with them to keep track of those numbers, make sure the business is making money. So all ranges. And then in Canada, we do the taxes as well. In the US, we can do the bookkeeping and then we would work with a tax accountant. Got it. And I have to imagine, are there people who can also come in and set up your QuickBooks and get those things set up well, just like there are for Asana or other platforms? Are there people who do that? Absolutely. This is where I really think with my entrepreneur mind, because I think there's so many people in business who are worried about how do I make money? I make money by doing the bookkeeping. So I want bookkeeping clients. Always been my motto and probably why we did so well quickly is if I build your business up, you're going to be back or I'm going to help you another way or you're going to refer a friend. I'm happy to use one of my team members to get your QuickBooks set up, teach you how to use it, teach you those numbers to look at and then have you do it because there's stages in business where you don't need a bookkeeper. You probably have time on your hands. I think I can do my own bookkeeping because in my business, it's few invoices, but large invoices. Now, hopefully there will be a lot of little transactions that are coming in from some of the new stuff that we're rolling out in the business. When does it make sense to have your own bookkeeper? Is there a number of transactions or I guess it probably depends on if you are willing to do it or not is one of the things. I don't know. I think that's more so the question. The thing is, the secrets out, QuickBooks learns your business. So especially if you're a person of habit and you do things consistently over and over again, literally QuickBooks learns that and automatically puts things in places for you. So it doesn't take a lot of work or effort. And so it's more about, are there mistakes happening? Do you have a brain that likes to categorize things? I have clients who are very creative and they're like, I cannot, it needs to go in a folder and you need to deal with it. This lets me be really good in my business in this other area. Yeah. Others are like, hey, I think this way it's easy. I'm a systems person. It's actually understanding a software and parameters on how to use the software, not necessarily learning how to do taxes or how to think of finance. The bookkeeping is more just data entry. Can you enter data? It's just more about do you like it? 
And do you have the capacity? If we go back to those like leadership questions, it's just because I can do it doesn't mean I should. So looking at a benefit cost to what would it cost me to hire? And then what would I otherwise be doing with my time? So early in business, you're like, maybe you don't have a lot of clients. What would you otherwise be doing? Like prospecting? Well, you already spend four hours a day prospecting. So maybe Mm -hmm. you do your own bookkeeping. But later on, you're like, I could do it, but I'm doing it after hours and I probably should be resting or spending time with my family. You better outsource that. Totally. I find there's a lot of tools out there for HR. I'm assuming you can use these in Canada, but Gusto or Rippling, or there's a lot of HR platforms that take over a lot of the account, the payroll function and the payroll taxes and some of the compliance aspects here in the US. And they're great. And honestly, if you have a system like that, it takes your accountant five minutes to process payroll every month. It does not take a long time. But what also is the case is they'll say they are also like your HR compliance. But as somebody who is an HR person, when you go to ask them questions, they are not actually that helpful. They send you help desk articles. You don't have anyone to actually talk through your unique situations. Yes, those tools help so much, but it doesn't take away the need for an expert to work through issues with. Do you find that's the same with accounting stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Most of the small business owners that I work with now, I would say I don't think people need a payroll team. I think you should do payroll because it gives you a perspective of what are you paying for these people? Are you getting a return? Who's efficient? Who's not? So until you're at 20 employees, most of the time you're doing your own payroll. Even at 20 employees, if you have the right systems, it literally takes five minutes. There's no calculations. You hit run. Exactly. Now, that being said, we did used to do payroll because back in the day, 10 years ago, payroll was not that simple. The programs didn't exist to do it. But what we ran into often when we were switching clients to something like here in Canada, QuickBooks does payroll. So we use QuickBooks. QuickBooks, what we were running into is that they had a problem with stat holidays or somebody leaving. What do we pay out? And those are HR questions. Those are HR law questions. And we didn't have the answer to that. And if our clients call QuickBooks, QuickBooks literally is sending you a government document that you don't know how to interpret. For years, I was just like, I just wish that there was somebody who did fractional HR that somebody could call and get an answer to. That's why the other day when you guys launched your membership for People Principles, I was like, at last, finally, somebody's giving this to a small business owner who doesn't necessarily need it all the time. But when they need access, it's like, holy smokes, this person quit. And in three days, I have to have this final pay made to them. So I really need an answer now. Yeah, totally. Thank you for that, by the way. You said this when we were chatting earlier, how you're looking at pricing a bit different. You're like, I'm not going to pretend like the software isn't doing all the work for you or something like that. Do you remember that part of our conversation? Oh, yes. Because it was about bookkeeping. I think we processed bookkeeping at two minutes a transaction. And I could very quickly tell you, here's how much your bookkeeping will cost. Now, if I don't process on QuickBooks. I'll back that up by saying every business is different. Some of them, just because of the nature of the transactions, QuickBooks can't learn it. But we look at it and I'm like, everything you do goes through Shopify. We don't need sales recorded in 17 different ways because you have access to that information somewhere else. So I'm not going to charge you to do that. I'm going to dump it all in one account. So we'll save you money there. And then I look at it and I'm like, oh, QuickBooks is going to learn this. I better be processing five or six transactions per minute because it's already knows it. I'm just saying, yeah. And I love that because I think a lot of people are like, this is always how we've done it. And this is what we've charged. But somebody's going to come in at a lower rate. 
somebody younger who isn't stuck in their ways looks at it and they're like, oh man, I can do this fast and I can do this less expensive and they're going to undercut you. So you have to be focused on the customer first, right? Yeah. And if you're listening to the show and you have a payroll accounting team, I don't want to throw shade. That's not my intention at all. But a real life example is I have a PR client and they have an accounting team and they were doing all of their payroll and all of the stuff. And it was so old school. And she hired me and I did an audit. And I was like, we need to get you on Gusto because you need a way for your team members to submit time off, keep track of their hours. They just needed a more modern way of doing something. And I was like, Gusto can do all of this for you. And when I suggested that they use it, this team didn't even know what it was. And I was like, this has been around forever. And I had to train them how to use it. And I was like, girl, I'm a little worried about this firm that you're using. I guess my advice, if you're listening to the show, is don't be afraid to question your accounting team, even if you use them forever. It's like HR. It's modernizing very quickly that so much stuff can be automated. And if your accounting team isn't keeping up, it might be time to find one that is. Is that really harsh to say? Not even a little bit. I think that exists no matter where we are in business, like marketing, the tactics and the tools are changing constantly. Finance, the same thing. And we're very antiquated in how we adapt and how we deal with things. And we're like, this is the way it was always done. To be honest, actually, I gave up my CPA designation this year. I'll have to tell you this. So I worked a lot of hours. I paid a lot of money for that designation and those letters behind my name and Obviously, they served me for a long period of time. But when it came to helping people in the capacity I do now, there was so much red tape. And I'm like, look, I know this industry well enough to know you're basically roadblocking me from actually helping people with all these regulations and these rules. And I don't think that does anybody a service. We basically then are charging so much and telling small businesses, oh, we can't help you all in the name of audits for Fortune 500 companies, which aren't even in the same realm. So I actually gave up my designation. It doesn't eliminate any of the 15 years of experience I have. Wait, you had to get rid of all of the knowledge you have when you got rid of your... <laughs> yes, I just <laughs> took it out of my brain. But like literally I gave it up and they actually made me like ship back my certificates. And, what? And yes. And one of them I had lost in a flood. And so like I had to get, I had to like stat deck sign it. Like I have lost it. I promise I'm not oh keeping it, trying to pretend I'm a CPA. And it was a really big deal to give that up. But I was like, look, I want to help people. And I think that's the same with like HR, with anything regulated, like the regulations exist for sure to help people. I've met many accountants along the way who didn't have the education, they didn't have the expertise. And because they didn't have a designation in Canada, you don't have to be a CPA to be an accountant. And it was like, I would look at these things and be like, oh my gosh, this is so wrong. This is causing people problems, but I'm not that person. And so you as a business owner have to decipher what level of expertise, what level of experience, sometimes too much doesn't move with you. And also sometimes too little is not a right fit. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Stacey, how can listeners potentially work with you and have you help them in their business? Yeah. So the easiest way to find me is on Instagram at staci.millard. You can find all my links there, links to uh, Small Business School podcast, the links to the Profit Playbook, anything you want to know is there or also on LinkedIn. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm sure we're going to have to do another follow up as well at some point. So it was so great having you on. Amazing. Thank you so much. Are you ready to hire a recruiter to help you in your business? 
exciting news for you, that can be me and my team. And we believe that the recruiting industry is due for a major upgrade in its recruiting and fee structures. So we have a completely different model than other recruiters out there. We have transparent pricing and transparent fees. Go check out peopleprinciples.co forward slash recruiting for how you can partner with us and let us do the hiring for you.